of what originally drove me to study this subject out. I've got far more notes than I can cover in one night. In fact, I had 12 pages of notes. Now, a good Sunday morning when I've got about an hour and a half, about six pages usually gets me through about an hour and a half. So 12 pages, you do the math. Um, and next week, as I said, Brother Myers will be here. And so I, I didn't, I didn't want to have to split it up. So I decided I would try, with the Lord's help, to cut it down because much of what was in the notes originally um, was addressed to people who didn't believe in this, didn't agree with it. And I didn't really think that it was necessary for me to come along and reconvince you of something that I believe that all of you deep down really believe. I just think that with it having been five years, I mean, you think back especially some of our young people, five years has made a huge difference in where they are. I mean, you think about an 18-year-old right now who was only 13 the last time I taught this. That's a big difference. And um, our teenagers are obviously becoming young adults now and, and need to hear and grasp what when they were 13, didn't really even apply to them. <laughs> so, now you're amening and you don't even know what I'm talking about yet. So, you don't know whether it applied to them or not. You're just taking it for granted. Be careful about your amens, church. Be careful about your amens, all right? Um, in fact, and I know I've got to get into my lesson. But look, it's been a long time since I've had this opportunity. So, I hope you're not in too big of a hurry tonight. Thank you. I will. Praise God. Um, it's, it's a good time for me just to say, that this is something that really I think every church, every real apostolic church needs to learn. You know, when I bring men here, I trust them. I, I put confidence in them. I wouldn't put them behind the pulpit if I didn't. But I can tell you, there have been times I've been disappointed. And men have said things that I didn't agree with. But the good saints of God are all shouting amen and hallelujah and praising God. Um, you know, I know that for some of you on this side, it's a little hard to see me where I'm sitting. But I'm going to tell you, I learned early to watch my pastor and to watch his response. And if he's amen in the preacher, then I amen the preacher. Same thing's true. We go off to a, a meeting somewhere. We were at... Um, a meeting somewhere between Canada and Mexico a few years ago. And some folks from Brother Riley's church were there. Brother Riley was not able to make it. And there were some things going on that um, were questionable. They came to me after service and said, we were watching you. We knew that you and Brother Riley believed the same thing. And he wasn't here for us to watch, so we were watching you. And we saw you weren't really responding to what was going on either. And so we knew what we were feeling was right. But really, saints, we really do need, if, if there's a question, don't just shout amen. Well, praise God. Unless you know that what's being said is right. All right, anyhow. And if you have a question, watch me. And I'll give you the signal. Praise God. 
Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, this is the way it was. In my home church, it was like this, and it was so strong like this. There was a night, there was a night that um, our church had gone to a meeting in the area other churches were sponsoring, and something started going on. It was a little bit questionable. Well, without knowing that this had happened, someone had slipped up beside my pastor and given him a note that said, you left your headlights on. And, and so he slipped out of the service just to go turn his headlights off. But when the rest of the church saw him leave, they all got up and walked out in mass. <laughs> and they got out there and he's looking surprised. He said, I just came to turn my headlights off. He said, well, we were kind of feeling uncomfortable with what's going on. He said, well, really, I was too. Let's just go eat. Praise God. <laughs> Uh, so anyhow, I just really, it, you know, it's not that I'm trying to be a dictator, but we really need to learn. There's a reason why a pastor is called a shepherd and the sheep follow the shepherd. So anyhow, just, just be careful with those amens. You don't want to sign on to something that you don't really believe. Well, Hallelujah. All right, all right. Having said all that, I hope you do believe this, and I hope you do amen this tonight. Uh, I wouldn't be teaching it if I didn't believe it. Let's turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, and uh, we'll begin with verse number 30, and my phone battery is running very, very low tonight, and um, hopefully it will. I know I've got a little clock right here, but I forget to look at that. I can always remember when that phone's right there that I need to check the time. Do my best to get you out of here by around 9 o'clock. Are you worried that I won't do it? <laughs> Leviticus 27, beginning with verse number 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. I'm going to say it's holy under the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. I'm going to try to do some teaching tonight on tithing. I said it's been five years since I've done it. I think it's about time. I think it's about time. Now, as we go to the Lord in prayer, there are some special needs tonight. Uh, Sister Angela is very sick. They are at the walk-in clinic. Um, from what I understand right now, they were headed that way just before church. So I said that we would pray for them. Also, Brother Cantrell, sometime back in our Tuesday night prayer, we prayed for his boy. He'd cut his arm very severely with a chainsaw and... Um, uh, without going into the whole story, he looked down yesterday, noticed something about his finger, and uh, come to find out he had ripped several ligaments in his finger. He didn't know it because he has no feeling there. And um, so it's, it's not a good situation right now. So we, will, uh, we want to pray for him tonight as well. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's take these two needs to the Lord, and let's pray that God would talk to us tonight, amen, as I try to uh, share with you from the pages of God's word that which he has put upon my heart. Let's talk to the Lord together right now. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you. 
thank you, Lord God, that we can come to you, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Oh, Lord God, I'm asking that you grant to the Lord tonight, God. I pray that you help them feed the flock of God. Lord, I pray, God, Sister Angela, I pray you touch her. Lord God, I'm asking you that you give them the sickness. I pray, God, that you would your angels. God, God, I know, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you to do. We trust you. We believe you tonight. We praise you tonight, God. We thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's just thank the Lord right now, everybody. Let's thank God. Let's thank God. Let's thank God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As I said, I don't want to take a lot of time dealing with things that I don't think are necessary for the congregation tonight. I will tell you, if you've got questions that are deeper than what I go through tonight, uh, our sound men can go back to January of 2010 and get for you the in-depth lessons that I taught on the subject then. And I can just about promise you that whatever question you've got, uh, I probably answered it. So um, we're not going to, as I said, deal with everything tonight. I will tell you this, that one of the biggest objections to the practice of tithing in the New Testament church is that people claim that tithing was instituted under the Old Testament law. And you don't have to be around church people very long before you hear them speak disparagingly of the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And, and so anything they say that was under the law does not apply to us. And really, they just basically throw the whole Testament, whole Old Testament out the window. They want nothing to do with an Old Testament scripture, and which is a dangerous, dangerous practice. Amen. I really don't have the time to go into tonight all of the reasons why that uh, argument is so fallacious. But I will tell you that I want to give you, amen, just a little bit of information that will help you to know tithing was not instituted under the law. It was not. It did not begin under the law. Well, hallelujah. It was established before Moses' law and it did not end at Calvary. Hallelujah. Uh, Genesis 14, I'm going to try to go through these scriptures quickly. Amen. Just, just to help you, just to lay a foundation tonight. Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of now, the Most blessed High be, God. Blessed be who? Abram. Abram. Abram is the original name for Abraham. All right, everybody's with me. We're dealing with Abraham here. He blessed. He said, blessed be Abraham. Read. Possessor of heaven and earth, 
And blessed Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham's not the possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be Abraham of the most high of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. There we go. Let's get it right. All right, read. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. All right, and and he and he that is Abraham gave him Melchizedek tithes of all. Abraham lived 420 years before the law of Moses was instituted. 420 years before there was a law of Moses, Abraham paid tithes. Well, praise God. Now, I might just Throw this in for good measure. John chapter 8, verse 39, Jesus said this. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Abraham's our father. Jesus said, Jesus them, said if you were Abraham's, if you're Abraham's children, children, you would do the works of Abraham. You ought to do what Abraham did. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. Are you? If you're one of Abraham's children, you should do what Abraham did. And Abraham paid tithes. Well, let's move a little closer to the law. Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. And Jacob vowed a Jacob vow, vowed saying, a vow. If God will be with me, if God will be with me, and will keep me, will in, this keep way me go, in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, if He'll just give me food and raiment to provide on, me with clothes, so I'm not I, asking Him to make me rich. So I'm just I, asking that He'll meet my needs, so that I come again so I to can my come Father's back house home to my Father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Uh-huh. And this stone which I have set for a pillar. Shall be, God's, shall be house. God's house, and of all, and of all that, thou shalt, give that me, thou shalt give me, I will surely, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Jacob lived 280 years before the law. I'm telling you that tithing was a part of what God's people did before there ever was a Moses. So don't try to put tithing under the law of Moses. Moses adopted a practice that was already well established. Hallelujah. Um, I'll I'll say more about that in just a moment. But um, when when, when we look at the law, and again, I don't have time to, to... deal with every aspect of all this, but when you look at the law of Moses, there really were three laws there. Uh, I've gone into this in detail before. There were three separate laws that make up what we call the law of Moses, Um, and and, uh, uh, under each law, there was a separate tithe that was to be paid. Aren't you glad we're not under the law? Three tithes to be paid. Um... But there was, there was the civil law which dealt with the people of Israel as a nation, as a country. Just like we have civil laws today. And, and as you read through, you're not near there yet. If you're, are you caught up on your Bible reading? Yes, All right, I'm trying to keep you accountable here. There wasn't quite as many amens I'd like to hear. Are you caught up on your Bible reading? Amen. That's a little better. All right. Now, 
now when you get to the point that you start going through uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, you, you start seeing these things, the book of Numbers, you start seeing all these laws that God lays out. You've got to look at it and ask yourself what category of law this is. Because there are some laws that were civil in nature. They dealt with the country or the nation of Israel. These would be laws that dealt with taking care of the poor. It'd be laws that dealt with crime and punishment. All right, these are civil laws. We have American civil laws today. We're not bound by the Jewish civil laws. There was a poor tithe that was under the civil law that once a year they gave an extra 10% to help feed the poor. The government's taking more than 10% to feed the poor and anybody else who wants fed. Um, so, so this is not an obligation from God for us. Then there was a ceremonial law that dealt with the Jewish religion. All right, some of the things under the law were ceremonial. They dealt with feast days. They, they, they dealt with the uh, sacrifices. Those things don't apply to us today. We are not a part of a Jewish religion. And there was a feast tithe that they had to pay once a year, another 10% once a year on top of everything else, but this was to help them get to the celebration of the feasts. Doesn't apply to us today. But then there was a third tithe, and that tithe is the tithe that supersedes the law of Moses, and that was the Levitical tithe. What we have seen, beginning with Abraham's example, was that tithing was an act of submission to one who was greater. Abraham came to the priest, Melchizedek, and paid tithes to the priest. Well, hallelujah. And so this is what was brought into and incorporated in the law of Moses was the Levitical tithe that was for the livelihood of the Levites. Now let me tell you, God's tithe, this tithe, the Levitical tithe, we read it in our text, is called a holy tithe. Yes, sir. Did you notice that? You see, not only were there civil laws and ceremonial laws, but there is a moral law yes, sir. that is higher than the law of Moses. The moral law has always been in effect and will always be in effect. Yes, sir. Now, now, I don't want to lose you on all this, but, but the Ten Commandments, were they given under the law? Well, they were expressed under the law, right? But did God hold people to them before the law? One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. And yet God punished Cain. We're talking about shortly after the creation, God punished Cain for murder when there were no tables of stone. Because murder violates the morality of God. Are you with me? That's why the Ten Commandments today, when we say we're not under the law, I'm telling you, we are under the Ten Commandments. It is still a sin to commit adultery, still a sin to steal, it's still a sin to lie. It's still a sin to have gods before the true God. 
Still a sin to covet. Go right down the list, all right? All of those things that are in the Ten Commandments are a part of God's morality. Did I give you Malachi? All right, this is Malachi 3 and 8. That's not even the one I wanted, so forget it. That's the wrong verse. But in the book of Malachi, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. All right? I change not. Now, what that tells me is that God's nature doesn't change. And his morality is a part of his nature. If God hated murder in the beginning, God is going to hate murder to the very end. If God hated lying in the beginning, God's going to hate lying to the very end. If God hated adultery in the beginning, God's going to hate adultery to the end. Are you with me? This is a part of God's morality. It did not begin under the law of Moses, and it did not end at Calvary. Now, how do we know what's a part of God's morality? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's some clues that you look for. As you read through these books of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see there things that God says are abominations. Yes, sir. Now, be careful, because some of the things he said, this shall be an abomination unto you. All right? But there were other things God said, it's an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, if God said it was an abomination to him, then it takes it out of the realm of Moses' law and puts it into the morality of God. This is why I've, I've had people open the Bibles to Deuteronomy 22 and say, look here, right here in the same chapter, you don't mix uh, different kinds of cloth. You don't plant different kinds of seed. You don't obey any of that, but you want to pull verse 5 out. And, and yes, that's exactly right, because verse 5 says something different than the rest of the verses. It says, all that do so are abomination to the Lord thy God. All right? When it makes that statement that this is something God hates, that never changes. That never changes. So you want to look for those clues. If it says that God hates it, or if it says God loves it, or it says it is holy unto God. This is a part of God's morality. We read to you from our text that this tithe, the Levitical tithe, was holy unto the Lord. That tells me this tithe is a part of God's morality. God looks at tithing the same way he does keeping the Sabbath day holy. God looks at tithing the same way that he does as any other thing that becomes a part of his morality. Are you with me tonight? This is why we continue to pay tithes even when the law was fulfilled at Calvary because this has nothing to do with Moses' law. Though it was incorporated into it, it began long before it and it won't end until long after it. In fact, it's not going to end until the trumpet sounds. Well, hallelujah. And then it doesn't really end, but once we get to heaven, everything is going to be in line with God's morality. Well, hallelujah. Amen. So, so we see that this is holy unto the Lord. It's holy. Amen. 
Now, uh, this tithe was called the Levitical tithe. I won't read all this, but Numbers chapter 18, if you want to take notes, Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24 is where they deal with this tithe. It's called the Levitical tithe because this tithe specifically went to the Levites for their living. That's all it was for. It was never to be used for any other purpose. It was never to be used for anything else. The, the Levites did not inherit like the other children of Israel did. Their inheritance was the tithe. It was God's, but God let the Levites use it. Are you following me? This was the way God established his law. Amen. We will read Leviticus 27.30 again. One more time, let's read it. Leviticus 27.30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And so all of it is holy unto the Lord. I'm telling you, it's God's. It's God's. It belongs to him. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. And we've got to keep that in mind. Now, let me just tell you a couple things about this Levitical uh, tithe. And again, I'm, I'm trying to hurry because there's some very important points I want to get to. But one thing is, it wasn't based on need. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll tell you. It wasn't the children of Israel looked around and said, well, it looks like to me the Levites are doing well enough. You know, I mean, oh, uh, uh, whatever, I mean, come up with a name there, you know, uh, Jehoshaphat, you, you look at old Jehoshaphat there, you know, he's a priest, I mean, he's driving a brand new chariot, look at him. I mean, that's, that's a Hart Schaffner Mark's robe he's got on there. He's doing, I don't have to pay my tithes this month because he's doing well enough. No, no, no was never based upon whether they needed it or not. It was based on the fact that it belongs to God. And, and, and look, I don't want to confuse things, nor do I want to, for any of you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, but it wasn't even based on whether or not the Levites were appropriating it properly. It was God's. And God would take care of them if they didn't. Because it wasn't theirs, it was his. So the people never had a right to set back and keep it based on what their perception of the Levites was. Because it wasn't theirs to keep. And it didn't belong to the Levites, it belonged first to God. Amen. And, and in fact, what you can read in 2 Chronicles, again, if you're taking notes, 2 Chronicles 31, you can find where the people had not paid tithes for a long time and they got under conviction. The preacher came along and said, you know, you need to make this right. You need to get this taken care of. And the Bible says they started bringing in their tithe and they brought in abundantly, verse 5 says. And, and the, the Bible lets us know that, that it was literally in heaps. I mean, get the idea. The whole nation has been neglecting this for years. And suddenly they want to try to get caught up. And you've got a whole nation paying their tithes plus their back tithes. And bringing it all in at one time. And there was so much there, they couldn't use it all. So did God say, no, no, that's enough. We don't need any more. No. God said, that's mine. It doesn't belong to you. I don't care how much surplus there is. It's not yours. Right. 
See, look, and again, I don't want to get into all this, but this is one of the problems with today's mentality. They look at men like Bill Gates and say, he's got too much. So we ought to take his and give it to somebody else. No, that's called stealing. It's not yours. I don't care if they do have 50 times as much as you've got. That's theirs. Charity is not stealing. You know, we hear this, oh, people ought to be more charitable. They ought to pay more tax. Look, when you take it away from me, that's not charity. Charity is when I give it. People ought to be more charitable. They ought to give more, but they ought to have less stolen from them. All right? So, so I'm telling you, it's not about how much is there. How much, because here they are, they're trying to catch up, and there is so much abundance. There's no way. They had to build rooms to store it in. And yet the people continued to bring it in. I mean, you can read it, verse 11. In fact, let's, let's back up. Verse, verse 10, it says the people began to bring them in, and they had enough to eat and had left plenty. And that which is left is this great store. And Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord. And they brought the offerings of the tithes and the dedicated things faithfully. So you got that? He had to build extra rooms to hold it all. He had to open new bank accounts to put it all in. But the people didn't quit doing it because they already had enough. Well, praise God. So, so we've, we've got to understand that's one principle that we need to know about all this. It is not based upon need. It's based on the principle that it belongs to God regardless of the need. The second thing is that it was never used to finance buildings. It was never used for that purpose. You, and again, I don't have time to read all these. I hope that you're taking notes or you'll get the CD and, and, and write this down. But Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24, it, there, it, is, it is clear that if they're going to build a new building, they're going to build a house for God, they're going to put up a new church, they're going to maintain things, they're going to do repairs. All of that comes out of the offering that people give that is above their tithe. The tithe does not belong to them. The offering does. And it's as they give offerings that the work of God goes forward. You got to get this distinction in your mind. Amen. This is the way God designed it. All right. This is the way God set it up. Now, let me deal with another misconception here very quickly. I want to try to deal with this. But, but again, people think that tithing is simply an Old Testament principle. I'm here to tell you it is New Testament. It's New Testament. It's New Testament. I appreciate the one amen, but it is New Testament. In fact, I'm going to show you, go over uh, to Matthew 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. Whoa. Has anybody got a Bible? Anybody got a Bible? Anybody got a Bible? Did you bring your Bible to church? You got it open to Matthew 23? I just, I want to know something here real quick. If you brought your Bible to church, Matthew 23 and 23, I just, I want to know something. What, what color are those words? Why are they red? Because 
the publisher, the printer wanted you to know this is Jesus speaking, right? So here's what Jesus said. Everyone say, Jesus said it. Yeah, we sing a song about what Jesus said. Well, this is something else Jesus said. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. All right, this is something else Jesus said. Matthew 23, 23, woe unto you. Scribes and Pharisees. Pharisees, Hypocrites. For ye pay tithe. Because you tithe off the mint and a nice and cumin. Yeah. You have omitted the the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, Judgment, mercy, mercy and faith. faith. Now, stop right there. Because that's where most people stop. Because they say, see, Jesus said very clearly, tithing is not important. He said, these Jews are paying tithes, and they're ignoring stuff that is far more important. Well, we didn't finish that verse. Let's finish it. What did he say? These ought ye, these to, have ought ye to have done, and, and not, to not leave, the other, leave the other undone. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how you diagram that sentence. It's very clear. Jesus said, yes, judgment and, and mercy and faith are weightier matters. But I'm telling you, you've got to have both. You've got to have the weight of your matters and don't quit paying your tithes. Come on. Hallelujah. Jesus said that. These ought ye to have done. If Jesus says you ought to do something, don't you think it's pretty important that we do it? Well, I wish the rest of you thought it was. I think it's pretty important if Jesus takes the time to say, you ought to do it. I say, yes, Lord, I believe I will. I believe I will. Now, again, I don't want to to just deal with all these arguments because I hope that none of you have these thoughts. But I'm going to tell you, through the years as a pastor, I've heard just about every kind of argument here. I've, I've had people, when I've given them this verse, they've said, yeah, but that was spoken to the Pharisees. And it only applied to the Pharisees. Okay, so let's follow that train of thought. If what Jesus said to the Pharisees only applies to the Pharisees, we got a problem. This is not in your notes. Get your Bible. Go over to John chapter 3. Does anybody know what John 3 and 5 tells us? What? I thought you knew. Okay. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. He cannot. He cannot. Into the kingdom of God, right? So, so do we believe John 3 and 5? Do you know who that was spoken to? Read verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. A man of what? A man of the Pharisees. Okay. Named Nicodemus. Named Nicodemus. The same came to Jesus by night. Now listen to me. John 3 and 5 was spoken to a Pharisee. So are we going to say that only applies to Pharisees? I hope not. Well, hallelujah. No, no, you you can try to throw all those arguments out, but I'm going to tell you, if Jesus only wanted this to apply to the Pharisees, I think he would have told us. But if I remember right, he said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Jesus even wants the hypocrites to pay their tithes. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what else I've heard him say? I had a man argue this. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but that verse in Matthew was before Calvary. Uh-huh, and so was John 3 and 5. 
wasn't it? In fact, if I understand my Bible very well, if we're going to throw away everything Jesus said before Calvary, we're going to have to get rid of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because it's just not, I mean, most of it. There might be a few chapters we can hang on to, but most of those four books we're going to just cut out and throw away. Because 99% of what Jesus said in those books, he said before Calvary. None of that, none of that is even a valid argument. Amen. Let's go on to another one here where Jesus is dealing with tithing. Matthew 22, verses 19 to 21. Show me the tribute money. Wait, wait. Show me the tribute. What? Money. What's he talking about? Money. What's the subject? Money. Look, let me just tell you something. Because I know preachers get accused of preaching about money more than anything. And yet, I can show you the records. It's been five years since I've dealt with this. So, I hope I've dealt with other things more frequently than that. But, this is a fact. Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Okay, all right, just chew on that for a while. Show me the tribute. What? Money. So what's he talking about? Money. Talking about money, all right, read. And they brought unto him a penny. Uh-huh. And he saith unto them, whose is the image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Caesar's, all right, and so he said... Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Give Caesar to Caesar things which are Caesar's. What is Caesar's? And unto God and things that are give God's. to God what is God's. Now, what's the subject? Money is the subject. He has a tribute penny, taxes. He's looking at tax money. And he said, let me tell you what to do with your money. You give the tax money to the government and you give God's money to God. So what is God's money? It's the tithe, hallelujah. That's what belongs to God. That's the part that is God's. If you want a simple, written, revised, Reader's Digest version of this verse, Jesus said, pay your taxes and pay your tithes. That's what he's saying. It's as simple as that. Amen. Hallelujah, all right. Paul taught tithing, believe it or not. First Corinthians chapter. I, see, I know, I know church, you're so sheltered, but I'm telling you, there are people out there that will say, Paul never dealt with it. Jesus never dealt with it. I'm telling you, they did. First Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 11. Listen to this. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the Now wait, the wait, 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 wait. For it's written where? Where? What is, what is Paul quoting to prove his point? I thought we had to throw the law away. Paul's sure not throwing the law away. Paul's using the law to prove a New Testament point. It's written in the law of Moses, what? Thou shalt not Don't muzzle the mouth, muzzle of, the ox the mouth of the ox the that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take now, care now, of Do you oxen? understand that phrase? Since most of you are not farmers, you probably don't. But when they use those oxen to plow those fields or to harvest the, the crops that were there as they were going through, uh, many of them would start putting muzzles, a cover over the mouth of the ox 
to keep the ox from eating any of the grain as they went down the road. But the law said, don't do that. If that ox is working in that row, let him eat of that row as much as he wants to eat. Come on. That's what he said. Now, Paul then asked the question, does God care about the ox? Does God care? Was God really concerned about how much the ox got to eat? Was that really the issue? God wanted to make sure the ox didn't go hungry. Was that really the issue? Read on. We'll find the answer to that question. Verse 10. Or saith he, or saith he it altogether for our sakes. Paul is speaking on behalf of the ministry. And he says... For our sakes, for our sakes. No not the oxen's sake, but for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that, that, he that ploweth plow should plow in hope, and, and he that, that thresheth in hope, hope should be, should be partaker of his hope. Of his hope. Read, if we, have if we the preachers, have things, sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great is thing if we reap carnal things? Here's what he's saying. God is not interested in how much the ox eats. That's not why he said it. But he put that law there so you would know the man of God when he gets up behind the pulpit is like that ox. And sometimes he's got to plow your corn. But I'm going to tell you, don't you try to muzzle that ox and don't you try to stop him. He can take as much as he wants to take. He can do what he needs to do. And Paul said, furthermore, let's stop and think about it. What the preacher is giving you, you'll take with you to heaven. But what you're putting in the plate and the preacher's getting from you, it'll be gone by next week. Now you tell me who's getting the better end of the deal. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, in fact, I'm telling you, that's how I know for a fact that Peter and John were apostolics because they said silver and gold have none. If they were TV preachers, it would have been a different story. They'd have had plenty. They were apostolics. Silver and gold have none. I'm telling you, whatever comes in, it's gone before very long. But what the preacher gives you is not going to be spent in one sitting at a restaurant. Well, hallelujah. So let that ox plow in hope. Amen. One man said, forever Paul destroyed the argument that what was done under the law has no effect on us under grace. In fact, in his writings, Paul makes reference to over 240 Old Testament verses of scriptures. And that doesn't even count more than 100 in the book of Hebrews. We're just saying whether Paul wrote Hebrews or not, if you don't believe he did, you can be wrong. But, but, but if we don't count Paul as the author of Hebrews, he still used over 240 references to the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews, whoever wrote that, there's more than 100 references in that one book of 13 chapters. Don't tell me the Old Testament has no bearing on us. Don't tell me that we don't need to pay attention. Listen, we preach Acts 2.38 because it's established principle in the Old Testament. Yeah. 
When God created the world, he was teaching us about water and spirit baptism. The world, the earth was without form and void, but God's spirit moved upon the water and that brought new life. There's salvation in Genesis chapter one. I go through this when I'm teaching these Trinitarians in Africa. I go through it. I show them how many places in the Old Testament. It's, it's water and spirit and new life. Water and spirit and new life. Over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. Hey, when Peter preached at Pentecost and they had a revival of 3,000 souls, what did he preach? This is that which was spoken by... The Old Testament prophet Joel. Even the coming of the Holy Ghost is preached from Old Testament scriptures. If you start throwing the Old Testament out, we don't have anything. In fact, the Bible says this church is founded upon, our foundation is the apostles, that's New Testament, and prophets, Old Testament. The moral law taught us that God has appointed certain rules for support of those who labor, whether a preacher, a farmer, or an ox. They're not to be regulated by anyone other than themselves and God as to how much they can take from the labors they bestow. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 and 14. Read this. Do ye not now not know that they which minister about they holy which things minister about holy things live, live they the live of the holy things of the temple and they and which, they which wait, at wait at the altar are partakers with the altar read even so even hath the so lord ordained hath the lord ordained that, they, that the they which preach the gospel should, live, should of the gospel. live of the gospel this is the plan of god it has always been paul goes back again to the Old Testament and establishes a principle. This is the way God wants it done. God wants men living off the church. That's what he wants. Let me tell you something, saints. You, you've got to understand the safeguard for you in, in living this way. Some people never see this. But let me tell you something. When a man has an outside income of his own and he doesn't care I mean, you know, he doesn't need the support of the church for him to live. Then he doesn't care what he tells you or what he says because you can pack up and leave. It's not going to affect him. He's still got his job. But a man that knows if my family's going to eat this week, I need some people sitting on that pew. He's going to be a little bit more careful about what he says. That doesn't mean your money's binding. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it makes him weigh his words more carefully. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across here? The man's not being bought by your money, but the man is at least weighing out. God, do I really need to say this? And there are times that the answer is yes, you do. And if it costs you, it costs you. And if someone wants to leave because you said it, but you said what God said to say, then you go ahead and say it. God will make it up somewhere. Elder Westberg used to say, he said, you go ahead and leave. God's got your replacement waiting on you. Did you ever hear him say that, Sister Desiree? Yeah, you go ahead and leave. God's got your replacement. God's got your replacement waiting on you. Hallelujah. 
But why? Why would you want to be replaced? Why don't you find the place that God wants you to be? Why don't you grow where God planted you? Hallelujah. All right, anyhow, another lesson for another day. All right, so, so here's what he said. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live.